And so my son was actually born two weeks after the end of my junior year of high school. And so all of a sudden I was thrust into this position where I had to provide financially for some, not only just for myself, but for somebody else now too. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, we have another special guest, and it's someone who actually has never been on a podcast before, but Justin and I really wanted to highlight his story, and this is The Cash Dummy. And what I just love about his story is that they're not a high-earning family. You know, they're not these cookie-cutter, quote-unquote, five people like software engineers or these are just normal people living their life more intentionally. Yeah, Cody. And, you know, he's a military member and he's an enlisted military member. And for those who don't know, someone who's enlisted, that's when you generally join kind of straight out of high school, somebody without a college degree. Now, there's exceptions, but that's the typical path and that's the path he took. So he joined the military when he was 17 And like you said, he didn't start out on the right foot financially. You know, he had some big issues come up right away. But we don't want to give his whole story away. So why don't we bring the cash dummy in himself? So I grew up in, you know, a pretty normal middle class family. Like, you know, my parents didn't make tremendous amounts of money, but like we never really wanted for anything. So money was not ever really something that I had to think about. And, you know, it was like that pretty much my entire life, right up until I got kind of towards the end of high school. And then what ended up happening was uh, I got my girlfriend pregnant. And so my son was actually born two weeks after the end of my junior year of high school. And so all of a sudden I was thrust into this position where I had to provide financially for some, not only just for myself, but for somebody else now too. And so at that point, you're 17 years old. Did you know anything about finances or did you just know I need money to buy this. And did your parents instill any types of these financial values in you or how did that work? So the short answer to all of those questions is no. My parents talked with me about money a little bit, but it never really extended past like, hey, you get this $5 allowance every week and oh, hey, you shouldn't make impulse purchases. Like, you know, they taught me the thing about where, you know, you have to wait two weeks if you want to buy something to make sure you still really want it. But that was pretty much the extent of what I knew about money. All I knew was that I had to have X number of dollars every month to try to, you know, keep the lights on, keep food on the table and, you know, make sure that, you know, my child was taken care of through the child support that I was paying. And that was pretty much it. And so did you finish your senior year of high school? Were you living with your parents? What was the whole situation? Yeah. So, uh, so I was still living at home. I, I was able to finish high school. I graduated, you know, on time and did all that stuff. And then I was working, uh, I was working part-time at a Lone Star Steakhouse, just, you know, trying to get whatever money I could because I didn't really have great prospects. Like college wasn't really an option at the time because I didn't drive very hard in school, honestly. So, you know, I wasn't really competitive for any scholarships and I wasn't really competitive for any grants either because of, you know, my parents' income. So it was either that or, you know, I wasn't really qualified for anything that paid more than what I had working at the steakhouse. So that is what ended up pushing me in the direction of joining the military because, You know, that was something that was going to allow me to, you know, make a nice, respectable full-time income. It came with all kinds of benefits, you know, free healthcare, education. And, you know, that was something that was going to enable me to, you know, not only take care of myself and to grow and improve my financial position, but also, you know, be able to provide for my son in the process. 
at that point, what was your financial situation look like? Like, what were you making as an? Is it an E one? Yeah, so I uh, I came in as an E one, and then I actually I actually picked up E two meritoriously halfway through boot camp. So I want to say my first paycheck in the Navy was about eight hundred dollars. And how much of that had to go to child support? And when did you start paying that? Yeah, so I actually started paying child support immediately as soon as my son was born. So I've actually been paying child support since I was in high school. Wow. Yeah, and so the way that they did it in North Carolina was that it's uh, it was based on a percentage of total combined income of myself and his mom. So I don't remember the exact dollar amount off the top of my head, but I want to say it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about $150, $155 a month at that time. Okay, because I know a lot of child support, I mean, it can ramp up to quite a large sum. And if you're only making $800 a month, that's definitely going to cut into your savings rate if you were even thinking about savings at all, which I know you might have not been at that point. Yeah. To be honest, I really wasn't. So we have this thing during the military or if you work for the government called the TSP, the thrift savings plan. So that's basically our version of a 401k. And so one smart thing that I did do at that time was I immediately signed up for the TSP and I immediately started contributing 7% of my base pay every month. And I was able to do that because, you know, when you first join the military, you know, especially if you're not already married, don't already have kids, you don't really have to worry about anything, right? Your housing is taken care of because you're going to be living in the barracks. Your food's taken care of because you're going to be eating in the chow hall. So you really don't have anything to worry about. So yeah, so I immediately right off the bat, 7% straight into the TSP. And I know we're not talking about huge dollars at this point, but being in the military myself, I've met a lot of young enlisted who don't contribute at all to their TSP. So did you have a mentor or a like an NCO who walked you through why you needed to do this or did you start contributing on your own? So I, I didn't have a mentor per se, but because uh, it was one of those things where, you know, they sit everybody down when you're in boot camp and they give you the brief of, hey, this is what the TSP is. This is how it works. You know, this is what you're allowed to do. This is what your you know contribution limits are and all that stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, you're not really paying that close attention to. So really all I did was like, hey, that sounds cool. Checked the box, filled out the paperwork. And that was the end of that. And I didn't even really pay any attention to it for literally years. So this was a little more of a whim than really a thorough decision. But at some point, did you have a light bulb moment where you realized how serious investing in finances were? And if so, when was that? Yeah. So uh, when it came to the retirement savings, I mean, it was probably a solid five, six years down the road, but um, right around that time. Cause so, so I joined the Navy in 2005. So once I really started paying attention to what was going on in the TSP, it was about 2010, 2011. So we were already two to three years into the recession, right? You know, everybody was losing their shirt. Real estate was falling apart. The stock market was falling apart. And so, you know, I knew a lot of people that, you know, had done certain things with their money and they had allocated, you know, their savings and their investments in the TSP and stuff a certain way. And they were really getting hurt bad. And so, you know, that was the first time where I was like, hey, I should actually probably be paying attention to this. So at that point, that was actually uh, also right around the same time that they came out with. So the way that the TSP works is, you know, just like any other 401k, it's broken up into different funds that you can put your money in. And so when you sign up for the TSP, by default, every 100% of your allocation is dumped into what they call the G fund. And so what that is, is it's exclusively government securities. It's basically all bonds. So, I mean, you're only earning like 1.8, 2% interest. So it was kind of a double-edged sword because on one hand, it's all bonds, right? But at the same time, there's also very little risk. So 
you know, while I had been dumping 100% of my money absentmindedly into the G fund, and I had missed out on a great deal of, you know, compounding interest in the process, you know, I was thankfully sheltered from a lot of the losses that some of my fellow service members suffered because, you know, a lot of them had their stuff in like international stocks and, you know, small to mid cap stocks and they were losing their shirts. So let's just hop back to when you were 23 or 24 years old. So were other Navy guys just looking at their TSPs and saying, oh, I lost my shirt because I was invested in these funds, these mid cap, these small caps, like those aren't exactly words that are just tossed around in the normal person community. So where did that financial intentionality come from? Yeah, so I was actually fortunate at that time to be stationed with and working with some people who, you know, were pretty active and, you know, paid pretty close attention to to that stuff and they were plugged into, you know, a lot of what was going on in the markets and they were plugged into stuff like, you know, doing real estate and that kind of thing. And so I basically lucked out because while all of the information that, you know, I learned in the process and all of the information that, you know, I got from these guys, like this stuff's all readily available. Like you can go to, like, for example, you can go to www.tsp.gov and you can look up, you know, everything there is to know about thrift savings plan. But up until that point, I had never had any motivation to actually put forth the effort to do that. And, you know, but thankfully I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right people who gave enough of a crap to pull me aside and say, Hey, this is what's going on with us. What's going on with you. And they started walking me through, you know, everything like, Hey, this is what all the different funds mean in the TSP. This is how everything works. This is why you shouldn't be dumping everything into the G fund. So I actually did have a couple of people who you know, I had unfortunately fallen out of touch with lately. But yeah, I actually, I had a couple of my, uh, my coworkers, you know, pull me aside and kind of take me under their wing and, uh, show me everything that I had been missing out on. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, having a mentor is everything because you just need that one person to kind of show you the light and then it's just off to the races. But so it seems like you were pretty intentional about putting some money away in your TSP. I know you probably in hindsight could have put away way more, but in terms of like savings rate on the savings front, were you doing just as well on that? I wish I could say that I was, but at that time in my life, I was still only just barely dipping my toe into responsible personal financial habits. And so at that point, my mindset was, hey, 7% of my base pay is going into my TSP. I'm good to go. You know, I was still single at the time, you know, didn't have any kids other than my son. I was stationed overseas in Japan. So I was actually getting extra money through things like COLA or the cost of living allowance. And, you know, I was actually making some money through the exchange rate because the yen was really weak at that time. So, I mean, the odds were really stacked in my favor at that point in my life and my career. So, you know, other than that speed bump of, you know, everything that was going on with the markets with my TSP, that wasn't really enough to kind of shake me loose from my financial apathy, so to speak. So something that I'm curious about is just the psychology in the armed forces. So you join when you're 18 and you might not be that financially savvy. And then you start getting those paychecks. And like you said, a lot of the normal expenses are already covered. Housing, food, and other things are subsidized. So why is it that a lot of people go and just blow all of that money when they first get it? I'd love if you had any of those same thoughts. Yeah. So at the time when I was in that position, I didn't even give it a second thought. Because that was just what everybody did, right? Because, I mean, you, I don't know if you've ever been on a military base, right? But you, you walk out the front gate, first places you run into, bars, car dealerships, shopping malls, tattoo parlors, pawn shops, payday loans, right? Because you have all these young kids, a lot of whom have never really had any sort of formal financial education or even informal financial education. 
a lot of them, myself included, I lived at home with my parents until the day I went to boot camp. I had never been on my own before in my life. And so all of a sudden, I'm flushed with all this cash. I had very little expenses. And it's basically just burning a hole in your pocket. And one of the things that, in my experience, the military struggles with is messaging. So we have all of this financial information out there. And in the Navy, at least, we even have these things that we call CFSs or command financial specialists. Their whole job is to do financial counseling for people. And, you know, they are like fiduciary, like they are required to only advise you in your best interest. And, you know, these people are out there every day and their whole job is to teach service members about money. But there are so few of them and their reach only extends so far and we just we really need to do a much better job of educating people right when they come in the door. This is what you should be doing with your money. This is how this stuff works. And that's something that we, at least in the 13 years that I've been in, we don't do very well. I mean, you've got 13 years of military experience, you know, and I only have five. So I'm curious kind of from that what you've seen, because at this point, more than ever, it's important for members to understand the TSP because of the changes they're making to the retirement system, the splendid retirement system. So from your experience, what is it that these military services can do to help their members understand their finances and contribute to their TSP? Yeah, honestly, I think if they, it doesn't even really have to be a financial thing. Like you don't have to spend all these millions of dollars to get this information out there because it already exists. In my opinion, all you really have to do is make it a priority, you know, because like, for example, sexual assault, suicide prevention, that kind of stuff. Every service member in the Department of Defense has to complete sexual assault prevention training and suicide prevention training every single year without fail. Why can't personal financial management training be one of those things that's required for everybody to do? All you really have to do is create a computer-based training course and push it out on the internet. And I mean, there are over 400,000 people in the Navy alone that can benefit from that information. I totally get what you're saying. I remember having to sit in this short financial thing at my first base for the Air Force, but it was a one-time requirement for your entire career, not like an annual requirement. And yeah, maybe it takes you know people a few times hearing it before it sinks in. And you mentioned the emphasis they put on suicide prevention, which is obviously a very worthy cause. But when you look at getting to the root of the problem, finances are consistently a leading cause for suicide. So it's not just a nice-to-have topic. Finances is a very serious topic you know, that we have to take more seriously. Even beyond that, many military jobs require security clearance, for instance. And one of the fastest ways to lose that clearance is getting in financial trouble. So that seems like you've avoided any of those massive financial mistakes like that. But I'd love to hear what financial missteps you did take coming into the Navy at 18, getting your first real paycheck. Man, where to begin? Oh, let's see. So, I mean, if I had to pick one, I would say probably my credit cards. So I got my first credit card when I was 20 years old. And I mean, it was kind of the same deal where nobody ever really taught me how to use a credit card. And, you know, I was already out on my own before I got my hands on one. So I didn't have my parents sitting there, you know, teaching me, hey, I'm giving you this credit card. You do ABCD. So, you know, especially right after I got it, it felt like it was free money. And, you know, because you don't have that same kind of impact when you just are swiping a card as you do when you're, you know, handing over cash or you're having to sit there and write out a check to somebody. So I kind of fell into that trap where it was just so easy to whip that card out of my wallet and, you know, pay for whatever drinks, food, video games, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is. And that was a habit that took me over 10 years to break. 
And so in addition to the credit cards, did you get into any auto loans? Did you have any other consumer debt that you couldn't get out of? Yeah, so thankfully I was able to I was able to dodge that bullet. You know, I always made very conservative car purchases. I don't know if it's just my personality. I've never really felt the need to have the, you know, big flashy fancy car with the, you know, 25% interest rate. You know, my first car was a 1999 Ford Taurus station wagon. <laughs> and uh, I think I paid maybe $3,500 for it. Although I did finance it because I wasn't really doing any saving outside of my TSP. I didn't have the cash to late. I, I couldn't go in there and pay cash for this car. So I had to finance it. And I, uh, I had my mom co-sign the loan for me because I was only 19 at the time. I don't even know what the interest rate was. But I was only paying $80 a month for that car. <laughs> Wow. So at the peak of your credit card madness, how deep are you in the debt hole? Yeah. So I think at our lowest point, I want to say we, we crested $15,000. Okay. So now you threw a we into this. So did you get a new girlfriend or a new wife at some point during that time? Oh, that's right. Yeah. We haven't gotten into me getting married yet. <laughs> okay. Backtrack. So my personal total credit card debt was over $10,000 at one point. And then we only took on more debt after I got married and after my wife and I, my now wife, merged our finances. And so what year did that happen? So uh, my wife and I met in spring of 2011, and then we got married in September of 2013. So by this point, I've already been in the military for eight and a half years, and you know I'd been promoted several times. I had already made it up to E6 by the time we got married. And so obviously my pay had gone up. I, you know, I was still plugging away 7% in my TSP. So thought I was doing good, but you know, at the end of the day, I still had those subconscious bad habits. I was still abusing my credit cards. I still wasn't saving any of my money aside from that stuff that I was putting in my TSP. And then even, even after getting married and you know, my wife and I combining our finances, those habits still persisted because she was working full time. She had great benefits. You know, I was in the military. I had great benefits. You know, we had no kids. Both of our cars were paid off. You know, we were renting this cute little duplex and life was good. All we had to worry about was keeping food on the table, keeping beer in the fridge. And, you know, what were we going to go do on the weekends? So we still really didn't have anything forcing us to be more responsible with our money. So at this point, I'm just trying, I'm writing all this stuff down. You had a, you were living in a small duplex. You had paid off cars. You're in the military, so you have some other things subsidized, like healthcare and some food. So where was all your money going? Because you were promoted to an E6, and was your wife working at the time as well? She was, yeah. She was working full-time. She was doing uh, administrative work for the county government. She was, you know, they were unionized, so, so you know, there was that whole thing. So do you even remember or know where all that money was going every month? Yeah, it was going into my stomach uh, <laughs> because we bought fast food. We ate out constantly. We drank really nice expensive beer and you know, we went to the movies and you know we traveled drive up to canada for a weekend really just nothing but entertainment okay so this is 2013 you've got over eight years of the military you're married you both have steady jobs and benefits but you find yourself in fifteen thousand dollars of debt so when did you have that moment of clarity where you realized you really need to get a hold of your finances yeah so you know things kind of continued you know, on that path right up until, I mean, honestly, we didn't really have our light bulb moment until last year, 2017. You know, we had already had one kid and my wife was pregnant with another one. 
you know, I'm still paying child support for my son and, you know, through my various different, you know, promotions at the time. And, and that's another thing too, is that I had been promoted again to E7 pay went up, housing allowance went up. But what ended up happening was that after my wife and I got married, we, uh, we PCS, that's a permanent change of station, right? So we got stationed someplace else. My wife had to quit her job. And then three months after we PCS, we found out she was pregnant with our daughter. And so at that point she was getting unemployment, but after about nine months, her unemployment ran out and we were down to a single income. And especially, you know, between the promotions and my, you know, my pay going up and the changes in our cost of living, you know, being in a different geographic area, my child support had skyrocketed. So to the point where uh, the last time they adjusted it, I'm paying almost $900 a month in child support now, which is, you know, almost as much as my wife was bringing in in her paychecks when she was working full time with benefits. Wow. So we had an almost immediate significant contraction in our income, but very little, if any contraction in our cost of living. And so once that really sunk in, we were like, Hey, we have to do something different or we're going to drown. And so did that lead to Google searching how to save a higher percentage of your income or what was the trajectory that pointed you towards financial independence? Yeah. So believe it or not, it was another chance encounter with a coworker. So we live in Florida now. And uh, so around last summer was when we got down here about two months after we checked in. So this would have been probably September, October of last year, a coworker of mine who's in the Air Force who happens to, he does real estate on the side. Like he does some flipping, he's done some buy and hold stuff. He was in the office talking about his real estate and he mentioned this thing called bigger pockets. And, uh, you know, I had never heard of it. I was like, Oh, what's that? So, uh, he pointed me towards Brandon Turner's quad chart video that he does on YouTube. My head about exploded. You know, he was talking about, he's doing all this math on, you know, how to invest in real estate and how to, you know, evaluate whether or not a property that you're looking at makes sense financially and all this stuff that just had never occurred to me. And I was like, well, Hey, if this guy's talking about this stuff in a 20 minute YouTube video, you know, what else is out there on this, you know, bigger pockets website? So, you know, I dove in, you know, I jumped on the forum, started talking to people, started listening to the podcast. And then when Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench started doing the bigger pockets money show, you know, I had been into bigger pockets for several months at that point, And I was all over that from the beginning, you know, listening to people going on there talking about money. I, you know, they were the ones that first introduced me to Mr. Money Mustache, Rosemary Groner, the busy budgeter, Aaron Chase from $5mealplan.com. You know, all these people that are active in this personal finance community and like, you know, frugality and all this stuff. I discovered all of this stuff basically at the same time. And so it was like drinking from the fire hose. And I just dove in head first and it's been nonstop ever since. Wow, that's crazy. You just meet the best people, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm the luckiest dude alive. I'm telling you. That's amazing. So, I mean, how long after you discovered bigger pockets did you actually start making action in your life? Because it's one thing to listen to a podcast, it's another thing to actually change your habits. Yeah, so that's that's something that I personally struggle with, right? So, I'm learning all this information, I'm absorbing everything, but I tend to be slow to act, right? Like I have to know exactly what I'm going to be doing. And I have to know for sure that it's going to work before I do it. And that's something that I'm trying to, trying to get better about, right? Because, you know, like I said earlier, at the end of the day, you can learn all the best stuff in the world, but if you don't actually put anything into practice, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, it was honestly, it was a, it was a couple of months uh, of me just reading, listening and processing and absorbing. And 
And all the while, I'm trying to explain all of this stuff to my wife. You know, all of this, you know, frugality and uh, mustachianism and financial independence, retire early. And, you know, that was another thing that, you know, that was a struggle for us was trying to get on the same page, right? Because I tend to be the kind of person who it may take me a while to get to the point where I am ready to pull the trigger. But once I pull the trigger on something, it's all in, you know, I'm, I'm going to roll, you know, whereas my wife tends to be much more deliberate. And so it took us another, another several months to get on the same page with how we were going to manage the money just because, I mean, we're different people and that's fine, right? Like people aren't going to always see things the same way and they're not going to have the same ideas about what the best way to, to manage their money is. And so it's taken a lot of discussion and it's taken a lot of, you know, me sitting down and say, Hey, this is the numbers. This is how this is going to work. This is why, you know, I'm proposing that we automate these transfers between our accounts. This is why I'm proposing that I set up an allotment for my pay to pull 10% off the top to go straight into savings. And so, you know, once we sit down and get to the point where it's all numbers, that was what really finally got her on board. So once we got on the same page, it was pretty much smooth sailing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a journey. It's taken us a while to get there, but right up to about two, three months ago was when we were really ready to just get going. And, you know, we had our system in place and we're building from there. So we always strive to give the listeners tangible information. What were the actual changes you made to transition from that lifestyle that you were in to the one that you've been learning about that fits financial independence? So one of the first things that we did was to increase my contributions into my TSP. So for several, several years, uh, I had been contributing 7% of my base pay. Now, and that's only my base pay, mind you. That's not any of my extra you know, allowances or bonuses or any of that stuff. 7% of my base pay was going into the TSP. We bumped that up to 10%. So that's just going straight into my 401k. Another thing that we did was we actually took out a, a TSP loan, right? So we borrowed against my 401k to pay down some of our really high interest credit card debt that we were still hanging on to. Because one of the advantages of that is that, I mean, yeah, there's an opportunity cost there because we're missing out on you know potential compounding in the market. But at the same time, I'm not paying back a bank for some loan at, you know, five and a half, eight and a half, ten and a half percent. I'm paying myself back with interest. So that enabled us to uh, eliminate a huge chunk of our of our nagging credit card debt that was 17, 18 percent APR. We wiped that out. We started dumping extra money into the uh, the car that we had to get for my wife to replace you know, her old car that had you know we had to finally get rid of that. So we were paying down. I think we added like an extra 50 or $80 a month to what we were already paying on her car payment. So we were paying more than the minimum on that. And then I don't think it was quite the exact, you know, the debt snowball approach, you know, with those last couple of credit cards. But, you know, I actually took on a second job for a little while. I was working part time doing custodial stuff, you know, but I was pulling in because of where I worked and the position that I was able to find. You know, I did a little bit of a janitor side hustle thing for a while, making 16 bucks an hour. All of that got dumped into the credit card with the highest interest rate. And then when that was paid off, we rolled it over to the next card with the next highest interest rate. And we went from there. Credit card debt was getting cut down. You know, auto loans are getting cut down. And we're still contributing to my retirement accounts. And, you know, honestly, one of the biggest hurdles that we had trying to put all this stuff in place was the fear that it was going to negatively impact our lifestyle. 
But what we've observed is that, you know, once we actually got all the stuff in place and everything was working correctly and we had systematized it to the point that it wasn't a huge burden to keep it rolling, our money was basically taking care of itself. The freedom and the relief that we felt from that was way more than than, you know anything that we had imagined. So it sounds like a lot of those things are either income generation or like shoving money into your TSP or paying down debt. Did you do anything with like day-to-day expenses, like building a budget or anything like that? So that was something that we experimented with. And uh, so, I mean, we, you know, we did the, we did the YNAB thing for a while, the whole zero based budget, you know, where you give every single dollar a job and all that. We tried that for a while. We actually, I think we did that for about a year. And um, I don't know if it's just a personality thing or the fact that we had two tiny screaming children running around our house 24 seven, but it didn't really work for us. You know, we would, we would lose track of the categories certain transactions were. And it just, it got to the point where we felt like it was too much work to stay on top of it because I personally am a fan of doing things the easy way. So we actually uh, happened across this idea and I was actually talking to uh, this guy, Josh Overmeyer about it the other day. He calls it the anti-budget, right? Where, um, you know, you decide what your priorities are. So, you know, be it savings, paying down debt, retirement, investments, whatever that is, you set that up so that it gets contributed to automatically right off the top, straight out of your paycheck before you ever get your hands on it. And then everything else is fair game. And then we found that that was a much better fit for our lifestyle, you know, because then we're not having to sit there and obsess about, you know, did we track all of our receipts? Are all of our transactions categorized appropriately? You know, we don't have to sit there and discuss every single time one of us wants to spend money on something at Target or, you know, what have you. That's worked out much better for us. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I budget, honestly. I've never used a budget before. I actually have a post on my site called The Unbudget. It's more like rewiring your mindset rather than I can spend this number of dollars on this activity every month. I think it's such a more powerful way to budget. And it sounds like that's working for you. It feels so much better, man. (laughs) So it sounds like you've had quite the journey. I mean, you came from knowing a little bit about finance to just hitting finance hard in 2017, stumbling onto bigger pockets and ultimately the Fi community. And I mean, we met a few weeks ago at FinCon and we had a great time chatting it up. You even got to talk to Mr. Money Mustache, I think. We tore it up in the gym. So, I mean, I did indeed. (laughs) I'm loving the path that you're on and I'm so excited to see what the future holds for you. Yeah, me too, man. And that's honestly, that's probably the biggest thing that I've taken away from all of this is that the amount of change and the amount of improvement and just the sheer impact on our lives that this community and this information and the connections that we've made with people and the stuff that we're learning has had in such a short amount of time. Like I, I never in a million years, I didn't even know FinCon existed a year ago. And now here I am attending my first FinCon. To the point where, you know, I've started a blog now myself to try to help other people have the kind of same experience that we've had where, you know, hey, you would be amazed at how much improvement you can make in such a short amount of time. If you just learn what you need to learn and implement what you need to implement, do the work now so that you can reap the benefits down the road. Yeah, man. And I love the approach you're taking with your blog because you're not trying to claim and be an expert. You're just showing them that there is a path for them. And it might not be your path. It might not be the perfect path. But there's a path regardless of income or age or circumstances. And even your name is the cash dummy. You're open about how you used to be bad with your money and the mistakes you made. But you got to figure it out now. Absolutely, man. Like I always felt stupid when anybody asked me about money. But now here we are. 
and it's been incredible. Hell yeah. So if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about your story, maybe pick your brain, where's the best place they can get in contact? Yeah, so probably the easiest way, honestly, is to is to hit me up on Twitter. It's just at the cash dummy. I'm on Twitter every day. Or I mean you can uh, go to my website, www.thecashdummy.com. Uh, my email address is on there. We have a contact page. Yep, hit me up. I'm super responsive to comments, super responsive to emails. I also have a Facebook page. I haven't really been able to do a whole lot with that yet just because I've been so busy farting around with everybody on Twitter. But uh, yeah, man, feel free to hit me up. If anybody has questions, I'm happy to chat. Awesome. I'll link to all that in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks. All right, man. Well, one question we always like to ask the people we bring on the show, what is your number one tip for those on their path to financial independence? The number one thing that I tell anyone when they ask me this question is education, right? Financial literacy. All of this information is out there. There are so many people. I know FI is a pretty small subset of the population right now, but I mean, we were just talking about FinCon. There were over 2,000 people there this year. And chances are there's going to be somebody out there who came from a similar place as you. And all you have to do is reach out, check out what they're doing, see what fits into your life, and implement. And because this stuff is out there, you just have to reach out and grab it. Awesome. So this last question is the wildcard question. I'm not ready. You're not ready, but let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, man, let's do it. So what was your craziest FinCon moment? Who? <laughs> uh, Fresh in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, my entire first day at FinCon was, it was insane. I almost exploded. Like, <laughs> I, walk in, I walk in the door, 1030 in the morning, run straight into Doug Norman from the military guide, turn around, walk out of the men's room, run straight into Mindy Jensen for bigger pockets, <laughs> right? Two of these incredibly influential people that have, you know, I just feel like I've learned so much from and they're right there and they're talking to me. And I mean, like you said earlier, man, like that same night, I'm just, I'm standing around, I'm drinking a beer with Carl from 1500 days and I turn around and Pete, Mr. Money Mustache is right there. You know, I shook his hand, got to talk to him for a little while. Hell, met you. And we're in the gym the next day, freaking clanging and banging, scaring Mr. Money Mustache out of the gym. <laughs> I hope he's listening to this. <laughs> I hope he is too. But uh, yeah, man, that that entire first day of just getting to meet all of these people that I just have, have given me so much and have helped me learn so much in such a short time was just an absolutely incredible experience. Yeah, I felt the same exact way. I mean, it was a lot of putting websites to faces. And a lot of those websites are super influential websites that had a huge impact on me and i'm sure you can say the same even though you've only been in this community for a few months or a year yeah absolutely man it was it was everything i hoped it would be well incredible cash dummy this has been an awesome episode and i really just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story because it does take a lot of guts to share financial mistakes it's not just all roses and butterflies everyone doesn't just start a blog and get rich and save 90 percent of their income it doesn't happen like that so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story Hey, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. It means a lot. Man, I just love stories like this where someone has a complete turnaround. You know, they have that financial 180 and just figure out their finances and completely change the way they're living. Yeah, I mean, he definitely didn't start off the way you would want to, but it shows that that doesn't matter. You know, he figured it out in enough time and he had the grit and, you know, the passion to get into it. He started taking up custodial jobs on the side just to get that debt paid down. And I got to say, 
this guy, the cash dummy, is the luckiest guy on the world. I mean, this guy's mentors are basically like Dave Ramsey and Mr. Money Mustache. He just has the best people coaching him through his life. And he's super fortunate for that. But he also did take control. He wasn't just sitting there in the background letting things happen. He realized he needed to make a change, and he went out and did that. Yeah, I think he talks about it some in the in the podcast interview where he's like, you know, it might take him a little while to, to catch on to something, but when he does, he goes full tilt. And that's very obvious in the way he's been handling this so far. I mean, starting in his own blog and like you said, getting to meet all of his mentors. I mean, I see him on Twitter talking about getting, you know, side jobs and editing for people. He's just really taken to this zero to a hundred real quick. All right. So Justin, I kind of wanted to flip this on you because I know, and I am not in this world at all. I'm a civilian, you know, I'm not (laughs) doing military stuff, but I know that there's some big changes coming around with the TSP. And I kind of love if you could share that with the audience, because we didn't talk about that too much in the interview or at all with the cash dummy, because we recorded this several months ago, but now it's coming up to the new year. So could you just share what those changes are? Yeah, so in the podcast interview, you know, he mentions things like his his kind of 401k, and he calls it the TSP, and the TSP is the Thrift Savings Plan, and it is. It's much like anybody else's 401k, except there there is no match. There's extremely low admin fees, like lower than Vanguard fees, but there's no match. But it's that same kind of 18.5 limit. There's no match because for always, service members have gotten 50% of their base pay at retirement. So that's basically you get half of your normal check that doesn't include things like housing. You'll get that when you retire, which is typically in 20 years. So for someone like him who enlisted when they're 18, you know, he'd be 38 years old getting a pension of 50% of what he'd been making, you know, minus housing for the rest of his life. Now, what the huge change is, is the first change they've had to the government retirement system in decades. And it's the biggest one that I can think of they've ever had is they are swapping to a model where it's not 50% anymore, it's 40%, but then they're going to add up to a 5% match. So that's the big change. And so what does that mean on a granular level? Like someone who's just joining the military, are they going to be really impacted by this change? So the interesting thing is like at this moment in time, there's people who are kind of in the middle. So you have people who have joined already up to a certain point, can elect to join this. If you've been in for, you know, a certain period of time, like 12 years, you don't have a choice. You have to keep the old one. If you are a new member come January 1st, you won't have a choice. You'll get the new one. But in this moment in time, people who are under the old system who have been in, you know, only a certain number of years, they actually have a choice. And so now people actually need to be like introspective and look at what the way they think their career is going to go and see what they need to do. Because if you stay under the old system and you don't do your full career, which is 20 years, you get nothing, not a cent. It goes, it's you either get zero or you get half your check. Whereas under the new system, you know, you get to keep that, that 5% match and you get to keep any, like, you know, there's sign on bonuses at year 12 that you get to keep. So that's, that's why it's such a big deal because you only get to make that decision once you cannot change it. Once you make it, And you have to make the decision by December 31st, or you'll just stay under the old system. And so, Justin, just knowing you, I'm guessing that you're going to be moving to the new system. That's correct. I did move to the new system. And there's a lot of things that, you know, people, when they look at it, they automatically assume that the only reason the government would be offering it to them is to to save the government money. And that's not necessarily incorrect, but it doesn't mean it's bad for you. They're just going to let the markets handle 
part of that weight. They're going to let you make your money back in the markets instead of them having to pay you the full 50%. But what it does is it means that service members have to get smarter about the TSP. They actually have to elect to put in the 5%. They need to know what they can invest in. You heard the cash dummy say he was holding all his money in the, what's called the G fund, which is it's basically insurance against inflation. So it'll just match whatever inflation is that year. So you're never going to really make any money on the G fund. So members need to understand that. Like for it to actually perform the same way, that their 50% would have, then they need to invest it. But it comes with some benefits that the old one doesn't. So the old one, yeah, you're getting 50% of your base pay, but that 50% is just for you and potentially like your spouse. But then when, when you pass away, you can't pass it on to your kids. It's not what I call forever money. Whereas the new system, that money that you have riding in the TSP that they're matching that's money that you know you can continue to let grow and you can pass down to your kids. So that's important to some people. It's not important to some people. So that's why like you really got to get in there and run the numbers. But I chose to do the new one because I see it as a little bit of an insurance. I mean, we buy insurance every day. You buy car insurance. You know, if you knew for a fact you would never have a wreck or you'd never get pulled over by the cops, you know, you might not have insurance. But the fact is, you don't know if you're going to make a twenty-year career or not. Um, you can't be sure. So it's it's insurance. You could potentially end up making a little less money when it's all said and done, you know, depending on markets and that sort of thing. But if you don't make a full 20 year career, at least you get something. And so again, it's, it's insurance. And so for those who are active military, what are the best steps they can take? Like what's an action plan? So I would do tons of research. I'll get multiple opinions, you know, the government and I think USAA, they both have calculators, but really, you know, there's some great blogs out there. You have Doug Norman with the military guide. He's got some great posts and links to other great posts. It's really doing the research and being introspective and looking at your own career. I mean, be honest with yourself. Will you make the promotions to be able to make a 20 year career? Cause it's not like you just get to decide, Hey, nope, I do want a 20 year career. If you don't promote, then they can push you out. So look at your records. Are you on the path for a 20 year career? Look at your life. Are you dead set on the 20 year career? Run the numbers yourself. It makes you feel better about it. Don't listen to people who are just spreading things based on rumor, like get the facts. Like there's people, you know, I've heard anything from, did you know the new system that 40% is not inflation adjusted, which is not true. Or did you hear, you know, just all these different th rumors that come out about it because people are very skeptical. People are always skeptical of change. So get out there and get smart, go out there and read some of those good blog posts but, you know, make sure that you're watching the clock because you only have until December 31st to make your decision. So, Justin, everyone is not as fortunate as you and I to kind of know what's going on in the markets, know how to invest. So are there these financial advisor type figures on base that can help you out with this stuff? So what they can do is they can try to explain the system to you. They can try to explain the options that you have, but they will not and cannot make a recommendation on if you should take the new system or the old system. I mean, they're literally mandated, they're commanded to not give you that recommendation. So you're not going to be able to lean on someone like that. And that's, again, why you have to get it out there online, start reading some of these projections. And there's a, there's a lot of them out there. We'll get them in the show notes where it actually goes through different officer and enlisted scenarios. So that way you can find a path that matches yours because you might be someone who's 10 years in or four years in. You might be an officer. You might be enlisted. You may have kids. You may not. And all those different scenarios are different and no one's going to be able to make that recommendation for you. So you got to find someone or find a calculation that matches your situation. 
And so we'll link some of those uh, posts out there on the show notes where people can find something that matches their current situation. Awesome. Whoa, Cody, uh, what's that sound? Jeez, Justin, I think it's the call to action. And the call to action this week is simple. And there are two call to actions, so we're throwing in a bonus one. The obvious one here is if you're military, go look at your TSP and figure out what the best plan is for you. Justin, not me, (laughs) is more than willing to chat with you if you have any questions. And we're just trying to push you in the right direction. So shoot us an email at contact at com. And so the second call to action today is for everybody, military, non-military, and it's just to take a look at your current situation and realize that no matter how big of a hole you're in, whether you're in $100,000 of debt, whether you have all these crazy expenses that you can't keep up with, there is a way out. And the cash dummy is a perfect example of this. He had a complete 180 in his finances once he realized that this was an unsustainable path. Look at your finances, make a plan, and find your way out of there. Yeah, Cody, those are definitely both great calls to action. I mean, the military people, obviously, they're on a the clock, and everyone else, there's obviously a plan out there for you. Now, if you want all the details on this episode, and you want all those links we were talking about, go to the show notes at thefyshow.com slash cashdummy, and also leave us a voicemail over at thefyshow.com slash voicemail, and we're actually going to start answering questions that we get in there live on the show, so you want to make sure you get in there, get a shout out, and get your questions answered. And also, don't forget to join in with our community at thefyshow.com slash community. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, the way we see that is through those reviews you leave on iTunes or any of the other apps you're listening to. So make sure you leave those reviews, hit all those stars. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.